Well, this is the Revelation lesson one. I was just telling Mr. Wendell, I almost hate that I have to do a lesson on the introduction and overview because I'd like to just jump into it. But I know that some of us maybe have never looked at the Revelation or perhaps don't even know what eschatology refers to. So for that reason, we have to do a lesson on introduction and overview. I was even talking with one of our young men and they said, Pastor, just to be honest with you, what's the point? I look at the Revelation and it makes my head spin and I want to study other stuff. And I said, oh, I've been studying this. I can tell you what the point is. And so we'll be able to answer some of those questions with this lesson as well. Why even bother to study the Revelation? And so we'll look at that. Let's look into this lesson, though. Eschatology is the study of the end times. And I know the believers have felt like it was the end times ever since the book of Acts. But if they thought it was the end times, and even if some of the epistles say the last days have come upon us, how much closer are we? Even uh, Corinthians and Ephesians basically say, now is our salvation nearer than we first believed. Well, yeah, and tomorrow will be even nearer. And we keep looking unto our salvation coming near because every day that we're here and he's not come back yet, it's even nearer. So we keep living like this. When we study the, uh, the revelation and eschatology, it ought to encourage us to live cleaner and live holier and live in an ever more prepared state because these days are upon us. And the Lord's not a liar. We're not like the mockers of, of the book of James and Peter that say, it's always been like this. Of, of a long time as here, when's he's never coming back. And the Bible says, be careful. A day with the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Which is to say, time passing is nothing to God. He's eternal. Amen. So we keep living like he's coming back because he is so much the more. And we can feel it, certainly. This is from our Greek word, skatos, which means last, and ology, or the study. And so therefore, eschatology is the study of last things or last days which we know we're living in. We wrote another massive curriculum about six years ago called Eschatology, where we looked at all of these things from a broader perspective, and we saw how the, all the symptoms of the last days are part and parcel of our everyday life. Wars and rumors of wars, famines and pestilence, deceivers, mockers, false teachers, false prophets. We're living in it. The Bible teaches that all those symptoms of Matthew 24 are labor pains. And the earth is in labor and travail. And what she's doing is she's giving birth to a new dispensation. That's the millennial reign. And if you've ever had a baby, or I think we all understand, you can have contractions a month or two before you go into labor. And then even when you do go into labor, you might have a contraction every three or four hours. And then every three hours. And then every two hours. And then every hour. And then you're having contractions every five minutes. And then a contraction. And what those contractions are, are the muscles tightening to push that kid out. We're experiencing the contractions of the last days. Now, right now in America, we don't so much feel a contraction. But we have felt a lot in the last seven years. Because we have a, an administration currently that very much yields to the spirit of Antichrist. And that's like uh, Pitocin, which is a drug they give women to go ahead and have babies. And I, think, but I believe if we get a president or some world leaders who say, please, no drugs, we can stretch out the contractions and enjoy seasons of peace before we feel the end time pressure on us. But make no mistake, these things must come to pass. And Jesus said, don't worry about it. All these things must be. And then he said in Matthew 24, but the worst is not yet. <laughs> Let none of these things phase you, but these must be. And the worst is not yet. It's still to come. The wonderful news, and we'll see this as we study this, is that we're not going to be here for the worst of it. Amen. Because God is for us. In the Revelation, God is for nobody except for those that call out on his name. 
we'll see some of these things. We don't make any mistake about it. The tribulation is not the devil's work. The tribulation is the devil trying for three and a half years to rule the world and he fails. Can you imagine starting and failing in three and a half years? That's not even a full college degree. So in the, in the seven years and three and a half years of great tribulation, the devil tries to take over the whole world and fails in three and a half years. It's pretty short-lived anarchy. And the whole time the Lord's just pouring out his wrath. And he's pouring out his wrath trying to get people to repent and they won't. So he just keeps ratcheting it up. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's, let's keep reading. The focus of these lessons will be the book of Revelation. And studying the Revelation, uh, Revelation or the Revelation, we'll, we'll refer to both the book of Revelation, the Revelation, or Revelation. It's not Revelations. Uh, we, we just want to make that point. I know we often get into bad habits, but it's the Revelation, singular. Studying this will require studying many other passages in the Bible. The word revelation comes from our Greek word apocalypsos, which is, of course, where we get our word apocalypse. When we talk about an apocalypse, everybody thinks nuclear apocalypse or zombie apocalypse or, if you're like weird cat lady, a kitty cat apocalypse. And what that has come to mean in our vernacular is the end of the world and a great war. But apocalypse just means to reveal something. That's all the word means is to reveal. Revelation. Revelation means a revealing. We can see it in the root word of revelation, reveal. I don't understand how we go from apocalypto or apocalypse to reveal something to nuclear holocaust, zombies eating your brains, walking half a mile an hour. But the Greek word means to reveal or to take the lid off of something, to pull back the curtain. <laughs> it's like unwrapping a present. That's an apocalypse. Says, Isn't it amazing how Americans dumb words down and make them mean something they don't mean at all? Uh, the word means an uncovering, an unveiling, or to remove the lid. Therefore, the book of Revelation is an unveiling of the events of the last days. Praise God. God wants us to see what's coming. Or perhaps we should say more accurately, God took the lid off of the last days and showed John what was cooking. Because that's one of the terms, is to take the lid off of a pot. What's the Lord got cooking for the last days? Nothing good for God mockers. Nothing good. We covered that Christmas Eve. We talked about the two Advents. The first Advent, which was Jesus coming as a babe in a manger. And the second Advent, when he comes back and will make his sword drunk with the blood of his enemies. Big difference between a babe in a manger and a man of war. The Bible does say the Lord is a man of war. That's what's coming. We won't be here for that. Because we love Jesus Christ and we look forward to his return. Amen. Amen. My trust, my prayer and faith is that in studying this, you'll be greatly encouraged and not fearful at all. I must admit, I've told my wife in studying this, and she's kind of made fun of me. She said, I just have taken up residence at the end of our kitchen table with all my books and my laptop and concordances and all this stuff. And I, I've been studying this three and four and five hours a day for almost a quarter now. I said, honey, the more I study this, the more time I think we have. I can't explain it, but the more I study this and read this and look at this, the more I think 50, 60, 70 years, just because it's just time's just not right yet. And she said, seriously? I said, yeah, I think we'll see our grandkids. I just can't explain it. But studying the Bible has made me so optimistic. I'm not fearful. We shouldn't study the Bible and get fearful. We should study the Bible and be full of faith and hope and courage and say, yeah, we win. One of the lessons we'll cover in the next couple of weeks will be the four types of saints the four categories of saints. You have Old Testament saints, you have New Testament saints, that's us. You have the 144,000, and then you have the tribulation saints. And they all have different rewards and different callings. 
If you can't recognize that in the scriptures, you'll be convinced you have to be a tribulation saint. But you see the rewards and their qualifications in the revelation, and you realize the tribulation saints aren't anything like us. And the 144,000 saints aren't anything like us. And we're nothing like them. We have been born and been born again in this time by the will of God for the grace and the purpose he's given us. Those that are born and live during the tribulation are done so by the will of God, according to his plan and design. We're not Old Testament saints. We were, God breathed our spirit into our, our life form, our body, for such a time as this, as it pleased him. You could have been born 100 years ago. You could have been born 100 years from now. You were born now by the will of God, so you're exactly what you need to be, and that should greatly encourage you. When you, see, when you study the four types of saints and through the revelation, you'll see they have different rewards and different purposes in the millennial reign. Not everybody rules on earth. Some stay in heaven and follow the lamb everywhere he goes. We don't do that. We rule the nations with the rod of iron. That's more stuff we'll get into. Again, it's very encouraging. It's very optimistic. It's very positive. It's very victorious. It just makes, makes you just want to go pick a fight. You know, when you have no self-esteem and you don't know anything, you run from even the worst look. When you're confident and courageous and you've been trained, you go look for fights. And you start them if there isn't one. And my, faith, my prayer is that this would build our faith where we're confident and we're not cowering in rabbit holes or prepper closets. You realize America's been obsessed with prepping since 1999 out of fear and Christian television hasn't helped any of it, mostly fed it and made money off of it. We're not preppers. We're gospel preachers winning the world until the Lord says, come up hither. All right, we will begin our study with a few statements of wisdom concerning any study of eschatology. Number one, understand this. Prophecy can be described as history before it happens. So what we're talking about is stuff that is going to happen. And we're talking about it before it happens. One of the neat things about the Revelation is never has a period of time been so thoroughly explained before it happened. It will be basically a slap in the face of those left here when they can read the Bible and the next day it happens in the news. And read the Bible and the next day it happens in the news. It'll be another reason to be born again. Another excuse stripped from those that would mock God. It's so definitive, so line upon line, so, so spelled out chronologically how can you not see it if you're in the tribulation and be born again? You just have to have this hardened heart. This is the case with the revelation. This is history before it happens. Number two, like a ship's wake, it's always clear to see when the Bible's prophecy has come to pass more than how it will come to pass. And so I say that because there's going to be certain things we talk about in the weeks ahead that I'm going to say some people believe this, some people believe that. I maybe have no opinion on this. I don't have an interpretation for this. I can't rectify or explain this. And so I'm not going to be dogmatic about some things because some things we just can't exactly thread the needle yet. And I'm not going to even bother to try. I don't claim to have all the answers. I don't claim to have full understanding of the revelation. I can declare God does want us to have full understanding because the Bible says so. But as with any doctrine, your understanding... And your knowledge and your revelation of it progresses the more you study it and the more you look at it. Number three, we see through a glass darkly. That means it's like a smoky mirror. You can maybe barely see through it. But the closer we get, the clearer we can see. And certainly the closer we get to the end of times, the clearer things start to, to line up. We may also use the example of natural vision. Things further away are poorly seen and out of focus. The closer we get to these foretold events, the clearer they will become. We can certainly understand that. Two of the books I've been studying were written almost 100 years ago. The work that was put into them began over 100 years ago. 
And before, over 100 years ago, Israel didn't exist as a nation. And so they weren't able to fully see things. But both of these authors and these theologians said, Israel must be a nation again. We don't know how it will be. But we know that in order for these prophecies to come to pass, Israel must be a nation. One of the books was published in 1919, 30 years before Israel became a nation. The other one was 1929, 20 years before Israel became a nation. But they were declaring it must be. We don't know how it will be. It just must be. And both of those men lived to see Israel become a nation. And I'm sure they went, huh. I saw it before it happened because the Bible said so. Number four, no man knows the day or the hour, but we must always be ready. Now, we can know the season, and even the Lord said he doesn't want this to come upon us like a thief in the night. So I don't believe we're going to be just totally caught off guard. Just like we can all perceive the season that we're in, we can perceive what God is saying. I believe as the, the rapture and the end of the church age draws near and near, we'll know within us. We may not be able to say it's going to happen tomorrow. We may not be able to say it's going to happen Tuesday at 3 p.m., but we'll be going, it's any day now, any day now. It's almost like a, 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 like a piano wire or a guitar string. You just start winding it tighter and tighter, and t- <laughs> the bass player understands, or the violin string, you just wind it tighter, and you pluck it, and you pluck it, and you're almost cringing at it because you know any moment now that thing is going to give. Another crank. Another crank, bing. we can tell it's about to. We just don't know which crank is going to bring it over. That's how I believe it'll be because we have the inward witness being born again. Pagans won't see it coming. They're the frog in the water. They're just used to this hell. They're just used to smut. They're just used to trash. That's just all they know. And the temperature just keeps getting cranked on them one degree at a time. The rest of us, we live clean for God. We, we hate this water. We, can't dis- we, we despise our own culture. We despise our own life because it's so filthy at times. We, can't, we want to be clean. The world, they don't know to be anything else. Number five, finally, know that the Lord does not want us ignorant concerning his will. Look at all those verses that say God doesn't want us ignorant, that we can know the will of God. Go study those on your own. That's why I can't stand that religious saying, well, you just never know what the Lord will do, or the Lord's ways are mysterious. That's not biblical. That's right. That's right. Be not ignorant but understanding what the will of the Lord is, that you would be filled with all the knowledge of God and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. There's so many verses for this. I think it's religious poverty that uses it as a cop-out. You just never know what the Lord is going to do. Well, if you study the Bible, you'll know. If you pray in tongues, pray in English, you'll know. He doesn't want us ignorant. He might hide some things from us for a season, but they're hidden for us. How else can you be a co-laborer with God if you don't have a clue what he's doing? The revelation was given, quote, to show his servants things which must come to pass. If the Lord didn't want to reveal it to us, why did he reveal it and then say, show these to my servants? He wants us to know, to build confidence in us. God wants to show us things, not hide them from us. All right, eschatology. This is a study, the culmination of the entire Bible, because everything is marching towards the end, the end of man's time, the end of the Gentile rule and reign. Eschatology has been deemed a daunting, challenging, and confusing study because it encompasses almost the entire Bible. And honestly, you can't get most modern Christians to read the New Testament. Amen. Yeah. It's, you guys are a well-taught church. You're not going to amen me better than that? The modern Christian knows Facebook hands down better than the New Testament. You'd be hard-pressed to find an American Christian that can give you all the books of the New Testament. Hopefully, everybody can get Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Hopefully. And maybe the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, Torah. 
but you can't hardly find Christians that know the Bible. And that's why this is such a daunting challenge, much less to study the major prophets or even be able to pronounce the minor prophets. But the New Testament does say all Scripture is given for betterment, for edification, for exhortation, for reproof, for instruction, instruction in the way of truth. So why aren't we studying all of it? Well, it's because we don't make time for it. We'd rather binge purge something on Netflix. We'd rather see what all of our pseudo friends are doing on Facebook. You know, all those folks that will come to your funeral. All those ones you invited to your birthday party. All those ones that you really care what they did with the ice cream sandwich yesterday at 6 p.m. As I say, wasting your Christian walk four inches at a time. What are you doing? Oh, just wasting my life, daydreaming about somebody else's life, wondering why I don't have a life. One of my Lutheran pastor friends said, don't compare your reality to their highlight reel. Don't compare your reality to their highlight reel. I would say their marketed, glamorized Facebook stream. There ain't nothing on Facebook real. I don't, I'm not on Facebook, and I always hate having to harp on this, but I'm just trying to keep us spiritual and not carnal. I wish a family would just take a week and just post reality. This is what I look like in the morning. This is what my family really looks like when we're trying to take the family picture. Get over here. You better smile. I'm going to whip your tail. And post the picture where everybody's screaming and the husband's mad at the wife. And This is what we really ate for our anniversary dinner. It's a can of beanie weenie and tang. Said all this fake stuff. You cannot compare your reality to somebody's fraudulent highlight reel. All right, I want to get on to eschatology, but I still have to pastor at the same time. One famous book of the Revelation, one on the book of the Revelation, actually one of the ones I'm studying right now, contains over 6,000 Bible references. So in this one man's study of the Revelation, he references 6,000 other verses. That's a fifth of the Bible. That is how inclusive eschatology is. Everything from Genesis to the Revelation talks about the end. From the very beginning in the garden, the Lord said, I will raise up her seed and her seed will will, uh, crush your head. That's eschatology. Talking about Satan and the cosmic battle between Satan and God, which he, of course, lost at Calvary and was cast down. (laughs) It lasted all of a lightning strike. Even a long lightning strike is about half a second. Done. But all of it points towards the end. For this reason, any good Bible prophecy student must have a decent understanding of many of the major books of the Bible. Now let me encourage you this. The Bible does not change. Do not let the Bible intimidate you. Start studying it a little bit at a time. The Bible says that you should study to show yourself approved. A workman that need not be ashamed. If you're not a student of the word, you will always be ashamed. And you will never accomplish much work for Jesus Christ. We must be students of the Bible. It does not change. It has always begun with Genesis. It has always ended with Revelation. It has always had an intermission between Malachi and Matthew. So start studying it. Start learning it. Because it's like history. It doesn't change unless you're a revisionist pagan liberal. And we have those working on our Bible too. But get a good copy of the Bible and start devouring it. Why bother to study it? Why why study the Revelation? I'm barely making it to church once a week. Well, I will tell you why to study it. 
the Bible promises a special blessing associated with studying just the Revelation. Revelation 1.3 says, Blessed is he that readeth. That, just read it, you're blessed. You don't even have to understand it. And they that hear the words of this prophecy. So just read it out loud. And there's a blessing. And keep those things which are written therein. Well, you may not be able to understand half of it, but you just keep what you can read, you're blessed. For the time is at hand. Now, that was written 2,000 years ago in about 95 A.D. If the time was at hand in 95 A.D., how much in 2016? The study of eschatology is also critical in order to understand the season in which we are living and the tensions and opposition we can expect to ratchet up in the earth. Again, if you study Matthew 24, you can see all those symptoms of Matthew 24, they're already upon us. Famines, pestilence, earthquakes in diverse places, wars and rumors of wars, people being offended easily. That's one of the symptoms of Matthew 24. They, all the things on the internet have joked that 2015 will be remembered as the year America was offended at absolutely everything. That's a symptom of antichrist behavior. You're offended at everything. When you are God, everything violates your worship. So you get your feelings hurt so easy. Deceivers, the love of many waxing cold, people betraying one another. Those are all symptoms of the last days. We study eschatology so we can know exactly where we live. And so we can maybe detect how much of the Antichrist spirit is talking to us. There are only two spirits in the earth. The spirit of Jesus Christ, that is the Holy Spirit, who will make you holy and make you reflect God's word. Or the spirit of Antichrist, which will make you act opposite the Bible and make you act opposite Jesus Christ. And Christians are good at fellowshipping with both. First John says the spirit of Antichrist is already at work in the earth. And 2 Thessalonians says he's working to produce the spirit of lawlessness. It says the spirit of lawlessness doth already work, and it works in many Christians' lives. They get offended, their love waxes cold, it grows cold, they betray each other, they fall prey to seducers and deceivers. So we study this stuff so we can better symptomize or, or study the symptoms of when we're starting to cool off for God and to realize time's critical, stay awake. Time is critical, press in. If we understand this season of time, we will know more accurately what to do, like the sons of Issachar in 1 Chronicles 12. And of the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. We ought to be men and women of God who have understanding of our times to know what to do. Last night, we were watching Dr. Barclay on the webinar here, and he was telling us as a church, or many churches were tuning in, what do we do in these last days? We live lean and we live clean. Uh, Luke talks about that. Hebrews talks about don't burden yourself down with so much stuff. Don't be overtaken with cares and don't bite off more than you can chew. The American is so encumbered about with materialism and stuff. You can't serve God on Sunday night because you got a boat you got to tend to. You can't come to church on Wednesday night because you got this rotary club you're a part of. Well, those would be weights that you need to cut free and if you know the times that we're in, you won't defend the Rotary Club and you won't defend the bass boat. You'll be in the house of God doing the work of God. Amen. It's just nice to be lean and streamlined and be able to move quickly for God. Of course, that's mature Christianity. Not every Christian's interested in that. They just want to barely miss hell. But I think you're like me. I don't want to just barely miss hell. I want to march into heaven confident. I'm glad I made it. I hope everybody I was friends with did. We ought to know what the times are that we're living in so that we can live accordingly. 
We're living in the last days and need to have an understanding of these times. And one final reason to study this subject is Paul taught it. In reference to certain eschatological events, Paul wrote this to the Thessalonians. Remember you not that when I was with you, I told you or taught you these things? In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he's reviewing the timeline of how it's going to happen. He talks about a catching away. He talks about a great falling away. He talks about the son of perdition being revealed. He talks about the spirit of lawlessness. This is all eschatological. This is all the book of Revelation. And then he concludes that part of that chapter by saying, don't you remember when I was with you, we talked about this? So Paul was apparently in the habit of teaching eschatology everywhere he went because it's part of a, a balanced gospel diet. Now, right now in America, eschatology is not popular. Neither is repentance, neither is holiness. What's very popular in America is this false hope, false grace message, which makes carnal Christians feel good for being pigs. But you start teaching eschatology, you scare people because they know they're not right with God and they realize they're close and they're not prepared to meet their God. And so some people would just rather avoid it. Furthermore, as I've testified, for me to study the Revelation, it's spent about the last three months. And if several hours a day, this is, this is a hard thing to do when you're just a golfing preacher. This is a hard thing to do when you're just used to just pulling your messages off the internet or off a life way. This is a hard thing to do when you're just preaching canned messages. One of my local buddies was up in my office. You know, my office is always a study room, and I have stuff everywhere. And he got to complaining to me. I don't appreciate him complaining about his pastor, but I understand he wants to, well, he was a former pastor. He said, we, uh, yeah, we kind of voted our pastor out. We were glad he left because he was telling us that this website provides certain messages, and we're just going to follow that preaching pattern. He said, what do you think about that? I said, that guy's a hireling. You're paying him a lot of money. He's not studying the Bible for you. Any monkey could preach a canned message. I said, I said, I don't do that. He said, well, I can see your desk that you don't do that. I said, I'm studying three things right now. This is what a good pastor does. Constantly studies the word to prepare fresh meals for the sheep. That's the preacher's job. Not to go golfing every day. Not to go ride motorcycles every day. But to actually steer the church. And you have to walk with God and be in the word. So probably another reason eschatology isn't taught is because it takes a lot of study. And when I got a golf game and a motorcycle to ride, who wants to do that? Ugh. Hireling. Get a paycheck, don't do anything for it. If God had Paul teach eschatology, it's important and we need to study it. All right. So, a study of hope and faith. This, again, is just our introduction and overview. Dr. Hilton Sutton, who is probably one of the foremost experts on eschatology, passed away in the last two years. I had the honor of being in a service with him right before he passed away. And you know what he taught on? Eschatology, Ezekiel, Tubal, Russia, the Ezekiel 38, Battle of Gog and Magog. He, was still pre he, he studied and taught eschatology for 50 years. So he knew some stuff. I'm working through one of his books right now. Totally disagree with several points, but he's not alive to argue with. <laughs> Amen. He said, the Bible is designed to give us hope. Therefore, even the study of eschatology should be, build hope in our life. And I think we come through this in 12 weeks, you'll be so confident about the last days and what God wants to use you to do, you won't worry about the news. You won't worry about what Fox, CNN, MSNBC, any of those, you won't care. You'll say they're a bunch of pagans. Even Fox News is a pack of pagans. They don't know God from a paper bag, and all they're going to do is just get ratings, even if it's with a conservative slant. You won't care what they say. You got the Bible. The Bible trumps them. They ought to be asking us, what do we say? 
And again, some of you probably study the news way more than you do the Bible. You should repent and make the balance equal at the very least. Or fast the news. I've been fasting news now for two and a half months. I don't miss anything. Feel more positive. Drive through my community. I like life. Not worried about ISIS. Not worried about some nuclear strike. I'm busy letting the Spirit of God talk to me. It's a good life to live. It's not one of ignorance because I still keep in touch, but I'm not consumed with Drudge Report or Fox News or CNN News, you know, five, ten times a day when the headlines is just blah. You know, when you read somebody's writing, they're actually discipling you. Even when you read a reporter's writing, their essence is being communicated to your soul. So when you read all these news and these headlines over and over again, you're not reading anything from the Spirit of God. You're, you're reading a different spirit. And it will minister to you, and it can affect you spiritually. You can read something you don't even understand in the Bible, like an Ezekiel passage, and it'll make you feel big on the inside. You can read stuff in the Old Testament and say, I don't even have a clue what that means, but I feel powerful. Because God's word is spirit and life. You don't even have to be able to pronounce all those Hebrew words. You can just fake it and cough up phlegm and blah, begat, blah, and you feel big because God's word is spirit and life. Yes, sir. Amen. <laughs> Studying revelation will produce hope and faith in our life. Eschatology should not put fear in you. Now, if you're backslidden and you don't know God, it should terrify you because God's coming for you. He promised he would destroy you. Right now, he's giving mercy and grace, but he will wipe you out if you're a God mocker. When you got a massive seeker-friendly church, you won't ever touch on eschatology because one message will drive them out. Mm -hmm. Amen. <laughs> yeah. You know, Jesus only talked about eschatology with his 11 disciples on the Mount of Olives. He didn't teach it openly. People couldn't handle it. Sinners couldn't. I've met a lot of folks. There, I think you said you got saved with eschatology. Is that right? Terrified you to get right with God. Yeah, didn't want to go to hell at all. <laughs> didn't want to go through the tribulation either and then end up in hell. Yeah. See, there's, there's something powerful to it. But if we're born again, it should just make us confident. This is how our father comes through and wins it all. He's like, he's like the, the, the ringer you bring in. We labor for him. We occupy till he comes. And then the tribulation is the ringer coming in and just like Babe Ruth pointing the home run and just wiping out his enemies. After he gave him seven years to repent. There's one passage in Revelation where the last trumpet blows and the Bible says 100-pound hailstones come down. Never has there been 100-pound hailstones. Actually, the other uh, equivalent is 200, 1- to 200-pound hailstones. That's a hailstone anywhere between half of a 55-gallon drum and a 55-gallon drum. I did the calculations. Can you imagine a hailstone the size of a 55-gallon drum raining down on planet Earth? And it says, and for that they would not repent, but they mocked the God of heaven. Seven trumpets, and this is the last one, and you still won't repent? You want hell. You're begging for it, and the Lord will give you it. Now, maybe not you and I, but the pagans. All right. Oh, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a disciplined mind. Thank God for a disciplined mind. The word of God has been, uh, has been given to build faith, not fear. Do not allow the study of Bible prophecy to scare you. It's true, many bad things will happen in the end, but not to those who walk uprightly before their God. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 For God has not appointed us under wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah for that. Now let's jump in real quick with the time we've got left in this. I want to prepare you for the revelation and give you some pointers. The setting of revelation. Let me give you the historical setting. This is written by the Apostle John from the prison island of Patmos. 
This was like back in the day, this was a, a prison island like Alcatraz. It's still in existence today. There's a small community that lives there. And this was, even the word Patmos, the island, would terrify people because they were under Roman occupation. And anytime the Caesars didn't like somebody, they could just, with the stroke of a hand, condemn you to Patmos. And you died there. Most folks died because there was no water to be had there. You could, it's a rocky island. You couldn't really harvest anything. So they had a colony of prisoners there, much like Australia was 200 years ago. And they had to make out an existence. This is where they put their political prisoners and other prisoners that they didn't want to kill or crucify or, or execute. John was arrested in 93 AD to stand trial before the self-proclaimed Lord and God, Emperor Domitian. He, he proclaimed himself Lord and God. The guy went insane and was actually very, very much demon-possessed. He declared himself Lord and God. John had never had any political fallout. He'd never had any problems with any of the Roman occupation in 90 years of being an apostle. Never any issues. From the time Jesus Christ died to this point, never had any problems. He resided in a hilltop above Ephesus where he oversaw all the comings and goings of the early church. He was the last of the 12 apostles to die, and he died nearly 100 years old of natural causes, but he never had any problems till the emperor Domitian got this wild hair and said, I don't like that guy. He was shipped to Rome to stand trial before the demonized tyrant. Domitian ordered John to burn pagan incense in order to deliver himself. And you know what John said? No. <laughs> John refused, and in a rage, Domitian had John thrown into a vat of boiling oil, and John crawled out unharmed. I almost envisioned him crawling out like out of a swimming pool and just standing there in front of Domitian just dripping with oil. Talk about freak you out. The oil is boiling. You've, how many people have you burned alive in there? And here this 95-year-old man crawls out of it and says, now what? <laughs> in terror, Domitian had John banished to Patmos as a political prisoner, and he arrived in Patmos in 95 AD. So two years from the time he was arrested, or maybe a year and a half, you know, we don't know exactly the month of those years, but approximately. Church tradition holds that John was accompanied and assisted by Prochorus, while on Patmos for his 18-month internment. He only spent 18 months in Patmos. Prochorus willingly went into exile, leaving behind the church he pastored just to care for the 95-year-old John. When he got word that John had been exiled, he left his church in, uh, I think it was Nicodemia, I believe that's accurate, to go and care for him. Church tradition also states that it was Prochorus who penned the revelation as John spoke what he was seeing and experiencing in the Spirit, it is also traditionally held that John was totally blind by this season in his life, which is probably why Prochorus said they've, com they've condemned John to where? Patmos. That's hard. The man's blind. They starved to death when they can see on that island. So he went and had himself committed just to take care of John because he knew he couldn't make it without it. Tradition also holds that it was, it was Prochorus that penned 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John for the Apostle John because, again, he was blind and he could, you know, just like many of the other epistles were not written by Paul, they were dictated by Paul, but somebody else wrote them. Luke wrote several of the epistles as, as Paul dictated. When Emperor Domitian was assassinated by his own confidants in 96 AD, many of his political prisoners were released, including John. John returned to Ephesus to live out his last few remaining years overseeing the comings and goings of the early church, and he died a natural death about the year 100 AD, being approximately 100 years old, plus or minus a few years either side. So he's the only of the 12 to die a natural death. Everybody else was martyred of the 12 apostles, including Matthias from Acts chapter 1. Of course, we know Judas hanged himself and went to hell. 
A crowd of pagans martyred Prochorus in Antioch. Not many years after he returned from Patmos, he was serving as bishop over the Antioch church at the time, and he was having great success converting the pagans to Christianity. And finally, one day, he just pushed it too far. The pagans he was preaching to just killed him. So he died a martyr as well. So here's the key to Revelation. We've got to move. The book of Revelation is broken into three parts, okay, as clearly declared by Jesus Christ. Revelation 1.19, write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. So three things, the things which you have seen, the things which are, the things which shall be hereafter. All right, the things which are is the church age. The things which are hereafter is once the church is raptured. The things that you have seen is what John had seen up until uh, that part in, in the chapter with the revelation and the visions. That's uh, Revelation 1, 1 through 120. The things which are is a church age. Chapters 2 and 3 are micro epistles addressed to the individual pastors or angels of the seven churches. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. There, these are the words of Jesus Christ spoken to the church. And thus, he that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. That's the things which are. And this will continue until the church is raptured. We still study Revelation 2 and 3 as micro epistles to see what we need to be doing as a local church. We, we don't want to have any Laodicean in us. We want to have a lot of Ephesus in us. We don't want to have any Thyatira in us. We want to make sure we have the good things of these seven churches working in our, our local church. And the things that are hereafter, this includes the tribulation, the millennial reign, and eternity, or Revelation 4 through 22, basically the rest of the book. This section of Revelation includes what John saw in heaven, what he saw transpire on the earth during the seven years of the tribulation, the coming millennial reign of Christ, and the new heavens and the new earth that are to follow. That's the part that usually intimidates people. Basically, it's chapter uh, 6 through 19. That's the heavy-duty heavy part. That's all tribulation stuff, chapter 6 through 19. So, with other helpful facts, just to keep in mind in our study, and we're just getting going, we have 11 more weeks of this, my hope is that I can digest this and regurgitate it and you guys can grasp it, study it, understand it. It would help that between now and then you read through the Revelation, maybe get the NAS version, get the NIV, something that makes it maybe a little bit easier than King James. Avoid any para, paraphrase, yeah, the pseudo-psychological New Age translations like uh, the Living Bible and all that hippie stuff that came out of the 60s and 70s written by total pagans who wanted to water down the word of God. Avoid the paraphrases and read like an NAS version or Amplified or uh, NIV, something along those lines. I don't fully endorse the NIV, but it's a pretty good just to get the gist of something. Most Bible prophecy, last section here, other helpful, helpful facts. Most Bible prophecy, with the exception of the rapture, revolves around God keeping his promises to Israel. That's going to be very key in understanding the revelation. Most Bible prophecy revolves around God keeping his word to Israel and, the, and basically the fathers. Bible prophecy begins with Israel, was delivered unto Israel, and will conclude with Israel. Amen. The book of Revelation is not entirely chronological in its presentation. That's very critical to understand. You can't read it from chapter 6 to 19 thinking it's one event after another. Often a series of events is described and then further detailed later in the book. That's very key to understanding. If you try to make chapters 6 through 19 chronological, you'll come up with some weird stuff that just doesn't fit. 
It is helpful to view the revelation as a mountain of events culminating at the return of Jesus Christ. And this is how I have envisioned it as I've studied it. If, if chapters 6 through 19 is an event, it's a mountain. And it culminates with Jesus Christ coming back and the day of the Lord when he destroys his enemies at the battle of Armageddon. But some chapters come up this side of the mountain. Then other chapters come up this side of the mountain. Then another chapter might come up this side of the mountain. Then this chapter might come up just part of this side of the mountain. But we're all getting a full perspective of everything that's going on. Like, for example, in one chapter, the angel says, Babylon the Great has been destroyed. Past tense. The next chapter says, let me show you how Babylon will be destroyed. So we go back in history to talk about Babylon and how she'll be destroyed. So there's things like that that take place over and over again. And we'll explain that more as we go. But just understand in studying it, you can't see it as chronological because certain things happen throughout the seven years. Certain things take place in the middle, go to the end. Certain things take place near the end and conclude at the end. So that should help you. Different chapters approach the same mountain from different angles and pathways and reveal events that are taking place simultaneously to the activities of previously mentioned chapters. You got horns being blown throughout, and at the same time, you got 144,000 witnesses preaching, and you've got two witnesses preaching, and you've got the Antichrist jockeying for position. All these things are happening simultaneously. And if you try to stage them sequentially, it just doesn't work. The church is absent after Revelation chapter 322, indicative of her catching away. We'll study more about the rapture of the church in lesson four. The bulk of Revelation chapter 6 through 19, this deals with the seven years of tribulation and therefore great detail is given to its events. And the tribulation is also called Jacob's trouble, Jeremiah 30 verse 7, and therefore details the Jews as a nation. Please realize this, a bulk of the Revelation deals with the Jews. That's why it's called Daniel's 70th week. We'll cover that. I think next Sunday, we have to understand the 70 weeks of Bible prophecy or the 490 years that were assigned to Israel, to Daniel in captivity under, the, under Babylonian captivity. We are missing seven years of, of, of is, uh, Jewish time, which will be the seven years of tribulation. So a bulk of this all has to do with the Jews coming back to Jesus Christ. When you can see all the scriptures that talk about what the Lord wants to accomplish during Jacob's trouble... You'll totally understand it. You'll see why the church can't be here. You'll see why we don't have to fret this stuff. Because part of the tribulation is to punish Israel for rejecting their Messiah and to bring them into submission to their king. It's Jacob's trouble, not the church's trouble. (laughs) We have not rebelled against God. It was the Jews that crucified their Savior and they were broken off and we the Gentiles have been grafted in by faith. It is the Jews that are used again The church is gone, not here to be used. The church is being used right now. In the tribulation, it will be the Jews who get born again who are used as God's voice in the earth. The 144,000 are Jews. The two witnesses are Jews. Everything's culminating around Jerusalem. So we'll see that more in the next lessons. Many times, excuse me, the tribulation deals with the Jews as a nation, the nations that have persecuted and enslaved her those that will oppose her, and the powers of Satan in one final attempt to rule the world. Many times John observes something in heaven, then turns and sees the results of it in the earth. These are just things to help you when you you read through this. More than any other book in the Bible, the Revelation demonstrates the great ministry of angels and their fallen counterparts. There are over 55 references to angels in the Revelation. And we will study, there's four types of angels mentioned in the Revelation, four categories. And that's a fascinating study, but we'll only be able to give it about five minutes in two weeks. 
two weeks from now. God wants us to understand the events of the revelation. He does not want these days to take us unaware. Amen. May God grant us insight into these exciting last days. Let me point out something to you Dr. Hilton Sutton was fond of saying. The tribulation is going to be a horrific time for those that are here. But in the end, it is the devil trying for seven years to take over the world, really only getting three and a half years to do it. He's opposed every year for seven years. And in the end, he's a total failure. I have pastored this church for eight years. The tribulation is only seven years. I'm not saying pastoring has been tribulation on me here. I'm not saying this has been like an intent as a prolonged trip. I'm, not, I'm just saying just to give you a reference of time. But he gets three and a half years to do it and he can't. Idi Amin was a longer running dictator than the Antichrist will be. Hitler was a longer running dictator than the Antichrist. Mussolini, Stalin, Pol Pot, all these guys, Chiang Kai-shek, all these guys had longer runs than the Antichrist will get. So God wins in the end. We won't be here in the end if we serve God. So that concludes our introduction. Hopefully we have whet your appetite and fired you up because this has just been a broad overview. We're really going to bog down and see some really cool things. And again, this makes me want to go pick a fight with politicians. I don't know, the devil. I don't know. This makes me want to do more for God because I don't have to worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. Nothing's going to happen tomorrow. I'm going to serve God. It's not falling apart. We're not going to be, we're not going to go to heaven from a, a fallout bunker. We're not going to, the rapture's not going to take place with the bulk of the body of Christ living in some prepper bunker, hoping the diesel generator doesn't give out and the bottle of water run out and the canned tuna fish go bad. Us banging our flashlight because the last set of D's are dead. That's not how we're going to heaven. The Bible says we're the great restraint. We work until the Lord cuts us free and then the world plummets. I've always, since I've been doing a lot more vertical caving, I've always viewed the world, the, the church as the harness on somebody repelling. And the harness feels all the weight of that body. And that body feels all the pressure of that harness. And when it's all said and done, the harness weighs about a pound, the human being 200. And one pound of restraint keeps a 200 pounds from falling to its death. But both the harness and the body feel the pressure. And one of these days, the Lord's going to cut us free. And the body that's been wanting to go down anyway will plummet to its own demise. You can't be a good restraint from a fallout bunker, stockpiling gold, MREs, ammo, and diesel. That's goofy. That's why they make a TV show about it. Goofy sells on reality shows, and it makes the rest of us look like fruitcakes. No, we're going to live openly, preach this gospel, look at politicians and say, if you don't get it right, I'm cursing you. And they will fear us. I believe the church will go just like Israel did. Egypt will be glad to see us go. They'll, they'll want us to go. And they'll give us all their goodness before they go, before we go. And when we go, they'll perish. But we don't get to be that, that great thorn in their side living in a fallout bunker, terrified that something bad's going to happen tomorrow. We've not been appointed under wrath. We've been appointed to be salt and light and let the world know we are existing and that you can have better if you want it. So I pray this will really spur our faith and provoke us to live even bolder, to live even louder, to live even more glorious than ever before. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you for blessing these lessons. Help us to have faith and hope built in our heart as we study the end times and the revelation. Give us clarity. Give us great understanding. If we've known this stuff before, bring greater insight and light to what we're studying and seeing. If we don't know anything about this, may this study bring us up to full speed 
on eschatology and revelation as we need to know it in these days. We honor you, Lord, and we thank you for helping us. In Jesus' name, amen.